our vision is a world where all businesses are social enterprises that positively impact people and the planet. Um, so in terms of our mission, we, we're trying to um, convert as many people to social enterprises as possible around the world um, and basically spread the word, get businesses that are um, purely profit focused to think more about their purpose as well. Hello and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At UMI, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information, expertise and finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This conversation is with social impact specialist and the founder of Make an Impact CIC, Heidi Fisher. Heidi is an award-winning social enterprise consultant, speaker, author and change advocate who wants to build a world run by social entrepreneurs. Over the past 20 years, she's helped over 2,100 social enterprises, CICs and charities make more impact and showcase themselves to the world. And in 2020, she was awarded an MBE for services to innovation in impact measurement and social enterprise. So in this conversation, Heidi shares how she started her career working at PwC, but soon found that accountancy wasn't her true passion in life. So then decided to move into the world of social enterprise, advising companies on how to measure their impact, develop trading income and price for profitability. Heidi and I also tackle issues like burnout among social entrepreneurs and how to take care of yourself while trying to run a purpose-led business as well as thoughts on the future, where Heidi shares her view that one day soon all businesses will be social enterprises. So this is a conversation for anyone who has always dreamed of setting up their own social enterprise, and also for those who are wanting to add a little bit of purpose, social impact and sustainability into their existing businesses. So without further delay, here is Heidi Fisher on connecting impact and growth. Well, welcome to the podcast, Heidi, and uh, thanks for taking the time out. Um, really looking forward to you know hearing your story and your insights about all things social enterprise. So uh, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be here. Perfect. Perfect. And as I mentioned before we came on, Umi's working on a campaign at the moment, Heidi, called the Social Entrepreneur Index, which is all about kind of celebrating individuals who are running businesses for social purposes. So I think this conversation will be really useful in that context and, and instructive for many of the people that we're trying to reach. Um, so if we can just sort of jump straight in, Heidi, and talk about, you know, where it all began for you. You trained as a chartered accountant originally, is that right? Yeah, yeah. many, many, many years ago. You're taking me back over two decades. Um, so um, there's probably some people listening that aren't even that old. <laughs> but yeah, yeah so, um, originally that's my my start in life. <laughs> yeah. So what 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 attracted you to accountancy then? Why why accountancy? What was the what was the sort of rationale growing up to to, to go into that space? Um, I, I think it's more that I had to do something and um, I, one of the things that I've I've always done through my life is is go to the things that I'm good at and the things that I enjoy and 
I was I was good at geography and I was good at maths. Um, so I, I did a degree in geography and I didn't want to be a travel agent. Um, <laughs> back when we actually used travel agents much more than we are currently. Um, and um, I didn't want to be a geography teacher. So I was like, OK, I think I better flip over to do more finance related stuff. And that's how I ended up deciding that um, training as a, a chartered accountant was probably the way to go. Okay, okay. And did you do a postgrad in accountancy or did you just jump straight into um, the sort of career space where you could learn on the job kind of thing? Um, so I did a master's in financial management, which was part of that transition away from geography to um, something where you'd actually probably get a job. Um, and um Whilst I was doing that, then I was applying for um, jobs to train as a chartered accountant, having decided that was definitely the way to go. Um, I did, however, not want to be an auditor. Uh, There's so many stories about auditors um, stuck in stock rooms, counting boxes and ticking things on forms. So I I decided that I wanted to do um, corporate tax, so corporation tax and specialise in tax um, and do that as part of my training. Okay. And did you start at PwC then so is that where you had your kind of first break if you like in accountancy that's one of the big the big four firms isn't it yeah so um PwC is where I started out um it my plan was um to travel the world be a high flyer saving all these multinationals um billions of pounds in corporation tax um by you know the the way that um how it's done the likes of how Amazon don't pay much tax in the UK um I think Starbucks is another one so that was that was going to be me I was going to be the one that was helping them to do that <laughs> yeah but it wasn't exactly aligned with with your values I guess and and, and that was quite a um, steep learning curve for you would you say yeah well I, I think I'd always um imagined and dreamt that 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 this was a job for me and it was going to be really exciting and it was going to be you know brilliant and I'd love it and I'd be doing that for the rest of my life and actually when I got there it was it was really rubbish and I didn't enjoy it um and I was like well I'm kind of stuck here now because I want to finish my training um but as as always I always believe that the universe intervenes if you're you're not making a decision that the universe will make a decision for you and um, of course there was the Enron crisis over in America which um, meant that all the um, tax consultancy work um, internationally kind of died and I was made redundant from my role at um, PwC Um, at the time I thought my life is ruined you know I'll never get another job I'll never um have a career but actually um looking back they I think they, they did me the biggest favor ever <laughs> yeah but it, it wasn't a job or a career that that you felt that you were particularly well aligned to Heidi so I guess you know when did you have that realization and and obviously you were made redundant from your role so I guess that yeah. made the conversation a little bit easier but yeah yeah, so we, I, I was having that realisation whilst I was working there and, and I, that was why I was so miserable because at the time when I was working there, I was also um, making my first steps into the world of charity and social enterprise because I was um, helping to set up a, a charity locally in Birmingham 
and through doing that I was having to learn about things like charity registration how to apply for funding um you know getting all your policies and governance in place and you know basically learning from the the ground up how to do everything and I was doing that in my spare time so I I was I think already through what I was doing in a voluntary capacity seeing actually this is where where I'm much more interested um so although I was made redundant it actually was you know I would have left at some point anyway I but I probably would have stayed and been miserable for another 18 months or so yeah yeah <laughs> but I suppose you know you could have also when you were made redundant taken another kind of corporate tax job so you know was it still difficult kind of leaving the security of the the, the corporate world if you like behind in a way and, and sort of forging your own path was that quite a difficult decision to make yeah, so um, at the time, I was still adamant that I wanted to be a chartered accountant and I wanted to finish my training off. So I did go and um, work for another accountancy practice. Um, and I think I was there for about two years before I decided, actually, I don't don't really want to do this. You, you kind of get to the point where you're sick of um, doing the same things and... Yeah, so it was like actually there, there's more that I could be doing in in supporting charities and social enterprises. Um, but yeah, it, it was at the time, I think I I believed that that was still the route that I had to go if I was going to make money and, and earn, you know, and have a job. Um, so uh, I was like, I need to do this. I have to do this. And um yeah, if if I've got something in my mind that I'm going to do, then there's nothing that's going to get in the way in most cases. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, for anyone who's done, you know, been through that kind of a chartered accountancy, it's very very rigorous, right? There's tons of exams. A lot of people find it very very challenging. So I guess after having put all of that effort in, you know, it would have it would have probably felt like a bit of a step back not to have gained the the kind of qualification at the end of it, right? So obviously you get you, you get that you get to that point and then you decide to set up your own kind of chartered accountancy practice but advising social enterprises is that kind of the bridge then from from the old life into yeah. the new yeah it's essentially uh, it was like okay right i've got this um, qualification how do i use it to work with the kinds of businesses and organizations that I'm really interested in working with that actually really need this this help more than the the multinationals um so um we set up the first um chartered accountancy firm that was a, a community interest company um that was back in 2008 um I think um for about probably I think we're still the only one that was ever set up as a CIC as that was also a chartered accountancy wow. firm but um there are other CICs that are accountants um but now but yeah we we were kind of there first um and yeah it it was it was good um it, it was every every single client that came in they had a story to tell about the difference that they were trying to make and it it was like oh I just love everything you do and you you just like you knew you were going to have a good day because every client you spoke to was was doing something amazing yeah did you finally feel like you'd sort of landed where you were supposed to be I guess in a way 
Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, as although you probably don't believe it because you're talking to me and I'm I'm talking away quite confidently, but actually I was I was a really shy person back then, and and having to to have meetings with people, I, I sort of filled me with dread quite a bit. Really? <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, I was. I I hated standing up in. Um, I'd never wanted to present or talk in public. And now that I run workshops all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, back then it it was literally, you know, um the the worst thing ever doing meetings. So to have people that were actually so nice and doing such amazing stuff actually made that easier. Um yeah. But yeah, it's um very I look back at those years and think oh my god I feel like a different person almost nowadays yeah being so much kind of like personal growth I guess and and in terms of how you overcame that that kind of shyness about having meetings and being kind of face to face and 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 doing all of the stuff that you're obviously known for doing now was it just because you had to in a way because you'd set up this business so there was basically no other option there was nowhere to hide exactly and I I think the fact that you you have to do those things is I'm now I I always think okay if I really don't want to do something I probably really need to do it (laughs) because because there's something in there in terms of it will help me to move and progress further forward. But then I, my thinking wasn't that logical. <laughs> um, but I, I just knew, yeah, I just kind of had to get on with it. You, you know, nobody else was going to do it for me. Um, so it was just a case of getting on with it. Yeah, yeah. So you're working with a lot of social enterprises um, and finally starting to feel like you're on the the right track in terms of aligning what you do day to day with kind of what you believe in. So how does that progress and obviously ultimately develop into make an impact, which is yeah. kind of your business now? <laughs> yeah. So um, in terms of how it progressed and became that is through um, my own personal circumstances in that I had my son back in 2014 and I I took um, maternity leave, I think, I think I took about six months off from from the accountancy, um, leaving it in the very capable hands of um, the one of the members of staff that was the senior manager at the time. I returned and I, I sat there sort of twiddling my fingers, <laughs> thinking, hmm, they don't need me, <laughs> which was kind of how I designed it, that they wouldn't need me through that period when I was on maternity. But actually, when I went back, they still didn't need me. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're all so- grown up. <laughs> yeah, they were all grown up. They could do everything, and I, I was like, actually, oh, oh, yeah, this this doesn't really work. And and I I'm always like, you know, I've got my son. I don't want to come back to work full time. I want to have time with him while he's little before he goes to school. And um, so I was like, okay, what what will give me that flexibility? And it was actually the the impact side of the work. Um, so in terms of impact measurement. I could do bits of consultancy, I could do my mentoring with people and I could deliver my training and workshops and lose the the accountancy element of of what I'd been doing, which was all the kind of reoccurring, doing financial statements, tax returns, that side of it. Um, And um, so that's what I did. I got rid of that bit to the, the the staff member who was there running it wanted to step up and take it on. And um, that's how Make an Impact came into existence. 
Yeah. So it was really kind of about um, getting a better work-life balance for you, which obviously, you know, if we just rewind a second to when you're back at at PwC training, you know, work-life balance is is not really uh, a possibility, right? So you were probably, you were probably really, when you had your son, um, you know, it was, it was like, I have to now take this opportunity after an extended period where work-life balance just wasn't really possible. Is that kind of how you were feeling? Oh, well, I, I do remember the days at PwC where, you know, you, your hours were 9 to 5.30, but if if you if you weren't there early and you didn't stay late, it was kind of frowned upon. It was very much, a you know, clock watching as opposed to, you know, you've done your work, you can go. Um, and um, so now I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, you know, I, d- I don't really, well, I don't track people's hours. I'm like, you know, if you've done what you're supposed to do by the time it's due, that's fine. I don't care if you sat outside in the sunshine all day, as long as it gets done. And um, I think that that ability to be more relaxed and chilled has has really helped the last couple of years where everyone else has sort of been grappling with how do we let people work from home and how do we do flexible working. And it's, it's actually, you know, we've always done flexible working because I was like, well, if I'm going to get it, everyone else has to. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say, well, I'm 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 in charge. I get it. No one else can have it. And I've always um, worked just four days a week. Um, and then I went down to three days and I've gone back up to four um, about 18 months ago. So, you know, we've 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 been through that journey ourselves. And um, yeah, it's. It's about just having that confidence in people and not worrying about the hours, but, you know, worrying about whether stuff is done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause the proof's always in the, in the pudding, I guess, isn't yeah. it? You know, if, um, and I think a lot of organizations uh, have had to em- embrace that flexibility and, and probably been rewarded for, for, for doing so as well. I mean, we hear all the time about the kind of, productivity gains of working from home and obviously that there are kind of downsides to it as well but I think it, it probably reinforced a lot of the things that um you guys were doing already when kind of everyone else had to shift to this way of working right so um in terms of thinking about making impact then so who does the business serve I guess and, and kind of what is your mission statement uh for the business yeah um, so um, in terms of who we serve, we we have two, two segments. One is um, the social enterprise support side, which works with um, founders of social enterprises to help them to, to either set up or grow their social enterprise. And we, we have a range of kind of mentoring, training and membership and, and then obviously consultancy if they want it. And then we have the other side, which is the impact measurement side, which um, works with organisations that want to understand how to better communicate and share the impact that they have. And that might be putting into place some impact measurement systems, new data collection processes, or it might just be pulling together their data and producing them a nice report. Um, okay. In terms of the the mission statement and what we we're all about is well our our vision is a world where all businesses are social enterprises that positively impact people and the planet. Um, so in terms of our mission, we we're trying to um, convert as many people to social enterprises as possible around the world. Um, 
and basically spread the word, get businesses that are um, purely profit focused to think more about their purpose as well. Okay. Okay. And in terms of how has that grown on, on both sides of the business? So in terms of the appetite for um, companies to think about being a little bit more um, social impact focused and in terms of new companies being set up with that purpose then. So since you started, have you noticed a, a big uptick both in people starting social enterprises and in terms of people wanting to exist in companies, if you like, wanting to, to, to make a bit more of an impact? Yeah, so there's definitely more people setting up social enterprises. Um, even through the pandemic, I think there was about a, over 500 CICs being set up each month. Might have even been like a thousand some months, but it it really grew rapidly. And then you've got all the other legal structures that obviously it's much harder to track in terms of what they're doing. But um, yeah, there's a lot more social enterprises, and then you've got more businesses um, being pulled into this because um, sustainability, ESG, and social value are, are, are just being thrown around everywhere at the moment. Um, and so I think most businesses are coming into the world of impact through what do they need to do around the environment and sustainability um, initially. And then um, hopefully then thinking about their social impact or alternatively they're coming at it because they've they've got contracts with local authority or statutory bodies and they need to think about the the response and the tender for, for social value. Okay, okay. And obviously... Uh, make an impact set up as, as a community interest company, uh, a, a CIC or a kick, I think. As, yeah, yeah, you can call it that, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, there, there are a number of kind of different legal structures, I guess, that, I mean, a, a limited company could technically be a, a social enterprise as, as well, right? So in terms of the CIC kind of model, um, you know, why was that the option for you guys? And, and maybe for someone who's thinking about setting up a, a, a social enterprise, would you encourage them to, to look at that kind of legal structure as well? Um, so without getting into the, the pros and cons of all the different legal structures, which we could spend like an hour doing. Have a podcast um, just on yeah, that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, what what I um, in terms of the CIC for for me it was because it it locked in that purpose and um, you know it it was always there. We could only ever be a CIC or convert to a charity. We can't ever go backwards in terms of just being a for profit business. Um, and because it enabled me the flexibility to to pay myself. Um, so, you know, I don't have to see this as a, a side thing and and then have a, a job in addition. Um, but yeah, in terms of what I'd recommend for other people, it's very much about your personal circumstances. Um, you know, and also it depends on the, the the types of income you're planning to have. So if you're really focused on grants and funding and donations, then uh, a CIC is probably not the right route. You're probably better off as a charity. Um, if you want to end up with B Corp um, accreditation, um, then, you know, you could just be a regular limited by share company. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of different kind of pathways to, to, to get into the same point. Um, and obviously, in terms of uh, the support that you've given to founders and, and to sort of budding social entrepreneurs, if you like, 
uh, you've written some some books around this, right? So obviously, social enterprise: how to successfully set up and grow a social enterprise. That was that your the first book that you that you yeah, wrote, right? Yeah, back in two thousand and sixteen. Um, so before my son was born, um, I'd I had the outline for a book. Um, so when he was two I was like okay so he's two in August I was like right I'm gonna get this out get it done um I I set a date for the book launch in October and then basically had um two months to to basically blitz it and get it done (laughs) um but that that's because if you don't give me a deadline it's probably not gonna happen so that works quite well for me um but that was is essentially everything in my head that um I knew and all the questions that I kept getting asked repeatedly I was like you know what I'm going to write them down I'm going to put it all into a book and and get it out there yeah and and I guess what's what is the what is the book about at a kind of high high level um so it's it's probably more for for someone that's starting out in the world of social enterprise because it goes through um, legal structures, which we just touched on. It talks about um, how you know what policies you need in place, how to employ people. It also talks about tax and VAT because that's where most people make huge blunders. Um, talks about managing your finances, um, measuring your impact. So basically, an overview of everything you'd need to to get going. Okay. And and obviously how important is it, Heidi, that, you know, social entrepreneurs do equip themselves with these kind of general business skills? Because, you know, I think it can be easy to have a, a very clear vision of, of, of what you want to achieve, but perhaps without those kind of, uh, you know, finance, marketing and, and, and people management, uh, you know, how are you going to sort of um, price your products and services and things like that? Because, you know, social enterprises largely have to have to make money as well, right? So, yeah, how how important is it for them to have those kind of business skills? Um, hugely important. I think what what we've seen over the the last ten or so years is that we we're getting more people coming into the world of social enterprise that that want to to have those business skills. Whereas um, like 10, 15 years ago, people were very much driven by, you know, I want to do this because I want to do something good. I don't care about making money. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of conversation I don't have with people anymore. It used to be very, very frequent. Now it's very much, okay, I've, I've got this idea for a product or service. Oh, I want to get it out there. I want to know what, what what a good price is, how do I calculate that and how do I go about getting some some customers? Um, So it's quite refreshing to see that, but there's there's obviously a lot of people that that have an idea but do need that help with their business skills because they, you know, that's not their background. Um, Yeah. But it's it's about being willing to learn and it's about recognizing that you'll probably make some huge mistakes along the way, but you'll never make that mistake twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you do think that kind of on the whole, there has been a bit of a collective realization that the more money you make, the more impact you can deliver, the yeah, more people you can help. That's one of my help. favorite sayings. Okay. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. 
yeah because you know it, it was always money is bad we you know we don't want money we just want to make an impact and I was like no well you need the money to do that yeah <laughs> and if you get the more money you get the more stuff you can start to develop you can expand you can test new ideas you know you've got all those opportunities that regular businesses are taking advantage of all the time so you know why why are you going to put yourself in a position where you're always struggling yeah yeah and are there any like real success stories that stick out to you Heidi like businesses that you've that you've come across or that you've helped that have kind of um really done that you know they've they've they've, they've made money and they've also delivered a huge amount of impact are there any that really sort of stick out to you Oh my God, there's hundreds. <laughs> um, I don't know if I should pick any because the others will probably be like, oh, that's not fair. You didn't mention us. <laughs> um, oh, yes. I'll put um, you on the spot a bit there, haven't I? Yeah. Um, but um, I'm just trying to think. Um, he's a really good one. Oh my God. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I'll decline to answer that because yeah. I, I just don't want to um, show any favoritism. I love all of the people that I work with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Totally, I totally get that. But I, I guess you know, really, what make what what makes it good is having that understanding that you have to run an effective business, and you know, you also have to deliver an impact. And one of the other things that I like about the first book is that it it talks about burnout, which I imagine may be something that affects social entrepreneurs perhaps more than some other business owners i think it's a big problem for all people who who, who run businesses as you know it can be quite an isolating and and lonely experience but i guess there's an additional layer of 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 sort of thought and of consideration when you're trying to run a social enterprise so you know why was it important for you to include talking about a little bit about burnout is that something that you've obviously encountered um, during your during your child accounting career yeah or- um, so when when I was running the um, accountancy business, I, I was I found that you know all of my time was taken up. Um, there was no barrier between work and home, and you know so there would be calls in the evening, calls at weekend, people asking for stuff overnight, and I'd I'd just agree to it all. <laughs> it was like this is this is insane, um, but. Um, I think um, what what we have with with social enterprises and why burnout is is perhaps more of an issue is because we we know that we or we feel we have a responsibility to the people that we work with. So on top of all the the stuff that we need to manage to run the social enterprise, we don't want to let down the people that we're working with, and and that is like an additional layer of stress because you then think oh I've got a hundred clients that come in every week I don't want to let them down so then in terms of trying to get income in trying to manage staff or volunteers and everything that a normal business would do you've got all that other worry on top as well yeah so was it about for you and 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 probably advice for others as well kind of setting those clear boundaries that you know you're still you're still just one person right yeah exactly you know it and it's it it's also um understanding that to start with it is going to be hard because most people set up their social enterprises whilst they're still working so they're 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 trying to 
develop a social enterprise in their spare time with the hope that eventually they'll be able to quit their job. And, and that time period is, is always going to be really tough and it's, it's going to, you know, there's going to be some dark days where you're going to have to say, actually, I'm really committed to this. I, I want this. I'm going to push through the, the, the tiredness in some ways, but also recognising when, when you need to take those breaks, which people often don't. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think if you go into it with that awareness that it's not going to be all, all sunshine and ease, <laughs> you, you probably stand a better chance of coming out the other end and then getting a bit of the sunshine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it's it's really important. I think not to kind of let your your business consume you, isn't it? You know, that's that's something that I think affects all kind of entrepreneurs because they have that um, kind of spirit in them to to be constantly occupied, their brains to be constantly occupied by their business. Yeah. That you really do have to set those those boundaries for yourself as as much yeah. as anything else, right? Yeah, and also not to be emotionally attached to things. So you know, if if a customer or client says no to you, um, you can take that really personally and say, oh, they're saying no to me. And it's actually, no, they're saying no to your service at this particular moment in time. You're separate. <laughs> um, and and a lot of a lot of people take it quite personally. And that's that's where they then start to struggle and and find it really difficult to get back into their kind of um, more positive view about what they're doing. Mm, yeah really important and coming on to your second book as well Heidi impact first which obviously kind of covers the second aspect of your business uh, advising existing companies um so firstly kind of why is it important for a social enterprise to be measuring their impact or for, for any business to be measuring their impact and and maybe some top tips as well for for how they can do that yeah so in terms of why it's important it's well if whatever you're delivering whether it's a product or service how do you know it's any good and how do you know it's making a difference if you don't track and measure it you know um i've speak to a lot of organizations will be like well we we they keep coming back or we keep getting um new customers or new bits of funding so we must be doing all right and (laughs) it's just like okay if if that's how you're going to prove that you're doing you know making a difference and we're probably not going to get along (laughs) because i'm i'm very much you 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 should have some proof to to actually say that yeah it does make a difference um so that's why i think we need to do it and I also think we're going to see more more businesses starting to think about this area as well. So if social enterprises can get a grip on this and do this now, they're going to be ahead of um, what are potentially their competition, which are, are kind of regular businesses. Um, in terms of top tips, um, just get on and do it. <laughs> um, you, you know, it, there, there's this idea of, of making it perfect before we all start it. I don't know why impact measurement seems to have this myth around it. You know, if we don't get all of our system and process perfect, we can't capture anything. Whereas I would be like, you know, actually, Richard, I'm, I need to ask you three questions about what difference we've made. Let's just ask those three questions, see what you tell me, and then 
if I want to do that again with somebody else I'll do it and at some point I can improve it and make it better but if I don't start capturing anything I've still got nothing yeah (laughs) um and also the the other thing I recommend is you keep it simple so I said you know I'm going to ask you three questions Richard about that's I would be like track two or three things and do them really well measure them really well don't try to measure 15 or 20 different outcomes um you don't need to just measure two or three things and do them really really well and also um make sure that you you share and communicate it so use stories people's individual stories to to expand on and and tell that wider picture of what's actually happened Mm, mm. And I think there is that saying as well, isn't there, Heidi, like what gets measured gets done. So in, in terms of kind of growing uh, your impact, maybe like measuring is, is the best way to do that because, you know, you get into the habit of like recording your progress and that has this kind of multiplier effect where, you know, you start to become more conscious of all of the different aspects of your, your business that, that that could deliver an impact and spending more time on them. So is that yeah, so about um probably three or four years ago, um in in the impact world, they started to talk about impact management, um, which is where organizations actually start to manage their impact. So if you think about how you manage your finances, you have budgets, you have targets, you track them, see how you're performing, you make decisions based on the information you have when we we think about our impact if we start to track it and measure it we can then start to make decisions about what we might need to change in terms of our delivery so if we were um underperforming on a particular outcome we might say well perhaps let's add an additional element into this program we're delivering so that we can improve that particular outcome or you might identify that there's additional needs um, for the communities you're working with so you develop an entirely new program so measuring impact actually helps you to innovate it helps you to decide what your business plan strategy is going forward so it's it's much bigger picture than you know we're just measuring our impact because we want to show off in a fancy report at the end of the year but it also um and i sorry i could go about this forever the other key thing that that it also helps with is in terms of your marketing because you know marketing is about communicating the benefits of what you offer well if you've got impact data that's you know that's the difference that's the benefits um so it's done for you in that way um and you won't slip into talking about features (laughs) um, which is where we all end up if we don't have any impact data (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it kind of informs what you what you're trying to get across in, in your market and right and i think another point on um measuring your impact and having those kind of tangible evidence is that it perhaps acts as a bit of a, a bulwark against those businesses who are saying that they're trying to be more sort of socially conscious they're trying to be more environmentally conscious but actually in in reality they aren't doing that so perhaps having those data sets and 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 moving the whole business community towards a point where to say that you are a sustainable business you have to sort of prove it do you think measuring your impact's a good way of, of sort of you know sorting the wheat from the chaff if you like 
definitely definitely you know there's lots of um businesses out there that have targets for being net zero by like 2050 or something and they they keep talking about it's like well that's you know nearly 30 years away there's other businesses that have said okay we're going to be net zero and they're taking action (laughs) um and they're taking that action now and they're they're making those changes very quickly um and and it's by by having that impact information you can show you know this is what we've actually done this is what we've achieved um whereas the people that have the targets for for however many decades in the future don't don't have those targets and they don't have that evidence of what they're actually delivering against those targets yeah and and there may be kind of kind of regulatory forces that 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 bring this about more quickly as well like you say you mentioned that companies who tender for um, public sector contracts and things like that, those are going to be tied very soon to uh, a company's environmental uh, footprint and and, and these various other things. So it may be the case that those kind of uh, laggard companies, if you like, or or, or the ones who are kind of kicking the can down the road, you you know, it gets brought forward for them and to a point where it's basically um, a statutory thing for all businesses in the way that they report their Kind of financial returns every year to also be reporting um these other these other considerations yeah so um really large companies do have to do some esg type reporting anyway but um it it obviously doesn't affect the the bulk of um normal companies in terms of they're not they're not required to do that but there are um plans in place for those that that type of reporting to come in into place over the next few years um but you've with the social value apps and the 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 changes that happened a couple of years ago around um, central government procurement it means that um every tender that comes out from central government at least 10 percent of that is scored against social value um they can make it higher percentage but it, but what that essentially means is everyone that goes through a contract has got to prove that they, they're delivering some added social value. Um, but the, the knock-on effect is even if you don't tender for it, if you're a business in their supply chain, they're going to pass some of those requirements and, and commitments down to you in your subcontracts. Um, so it's going to hit a lot more um, businesses than just the, the kind of the main contractor. And we're also seeing that that um, kind of requirement rollout to local authorities and other statutory bodies. So it's just going to keep growing and growing. Yeah, it's something that I think all businesses have to be aware of, isn't it? So um, before we finish off, Heidi, uh, I've got sort of a couple of just quick fire questions to to, to finish off on. Um, So the first one is, you know, what do you think people most misunderstand about social enterprises? Um, what they are <laughs> um, so um, they they think they're charities <laughs> rather than businesses um, that actually sell um, products or services okay that's the and, and any any other kind of mis, misconceptions would you say um I think that's probably the biggest one there's there's probably loads yeah there's probably loads of other bits but that but the the idea that you know that these aren't sort of for-profit businesses is probably the, the biggest thing that both that people buying the products and services from from social enterprises and those maybe thinking about setting them up as well they have yeah. this perception that, that to make money is a bad thing which obviously yeah. we've mentioned is yeah. is changing so that but that's still probably the, the thing that's most misunderstood okay okay um and in terms of 
sort of one bit of advice that you would give to an aspiring social entrepreneur who is um, perhaps perhaps like like you were, you know, they've they've been in the corporate environment for a while um, and have decided that they want to sort of forge their own path, do something um, that is a little bit more aligned with their values. What what advice would you give to them? Um, just make sure that you you have a product or service that you can sell and make money from. Um, if you don't be a charity um so really be clear about who you who your paying customer is and um don't take the nose personally and you know um a no means um just no not right now and no not with me yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean no not ever <laughs> yeah. um so so just just be aware that you know it because someone says no doesn't mean that every person you speak to is going to say no Okay. Okay. And finally, Heidi, sort of, you've been in this industry for, for, for quite a long time. You've seen it grow. I'm not that old. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, yeah. So there's been tons of changes already. You know, we've mentioned the changes that are coming down the track, but I guess, how are you feeling about the future of, of social enterprise, generally speaking? It's going to take over the world. <laughs> um, I've, I, um, Personally, I always believed, um, you know, we're we're at the point, the tipping point where we're going to see the end of capitalism and we we are going to see a shift to this more caring and collective type of uh, business model um, where social enterprises is the main type of of business entity that we see. some people will probably say we're probably a long way off from that but I'm like no I think we're closer to that than what most people believe well yeah so a a purely kind of for-profit um company that that doesn't consider its kind of social or environmental uh impact they will be sort of the outliers maybe in the future and and the the majority of businesses will be social enterprises yeah, yeah, you know, we've got lots of agendas that are supporting that, you know, there's the degrowth agenda, um, sustainability, circular economy, um, all of those different ag- agendas um, lead me to believe that we, we're going to consume less um, and what we do consume, we're going to be more thoughtful about what we consume and where we make those purchases from. So to be able to purchase more ethically, more locally, support people in the community is is just, you know, we, we've seen through COVID that that's actually become more of a priority for people. And although we're, we're kind of at the point where that's kind of waning a bit i do think that that there's enough of a shift in in enough people's behavior to see that that this transition is really happening yeah well i I hope you're right heidi because you know it's very important for the future of humanity more generally isn't it that we do make these changes yeah definitely So Heidi, thanks so much. You know, where, where can people kind of uh, get hold of you if they want to find out a bit more and, and, and obviously where are um, the books that you've put out, where, where are they kind of available? Yeah. Um, so if you want to get hold of me, um, you can go via the website, makeanimpactcic.co.uk. Um, if you, you want to connect with me, LinkedIn is my favorite social media platform. So um, uh, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Heidi L. Fisher. Um, you can connect with me there. The books um, are available from most online bookstores, including the one that I won't mention because it's not very ethical. 
Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So yeah, lots of lots of opportunity for people to, to, to get in touch with you and, and pick up um some of your literature. So yeah, thanks so much, Heidi. It's been it's been really fascinating speaking to you. And uh yeah, all all the best in for the future and uh, take care. Thank you. It's been great talking to you, Richard. Thank you. So that was Heidi Fisher sharing her wisdom and experience taken from more than 20 years of working in the social enterprise space. We'll come on to some of the key pieces of advice as I think there were many in that conversation. But first, I just want to ask if you agree with Heidi that social enterprises are about to take over the world. Are we heading towards a future where all businesses will operate as social enterprises, putting people and planet in equal importance to profit? I certainly hope so, and I think there are lots of promising signs in that regard, Uh, but will the old ways of doing business be more stubborn than we think? All food for thought, anyway. So, for any aspiring social entrepreneurs out there, here are some of Heidi's top tips for success. Firstly, make sure you have a product or service that you can sell and make money from. Running a social enterprise is very similar to running any business in that you have to generate revenues to survive, so it's important not to lose sight of that when you're also trying to change the world. And also don't take the no's personally. It doesn't mean no, not ever. It just means no right now. Uh, When you're invested in your business, it can be difficult to deal with rejection, but this is a part and parcel of being an entrepreneur. So try and be cognizant of that. And last, but certainly not least, measure your impact. It's all very well saying that your business makes a difference, but how do you quantify that? How do you demonstrate that you are delivering change and hitting your targets if you're not keeping track of your progress? You know, for Heidi, she said that impact measurement is not about having these perfectly aligned processes for data collection. It's about capturing what you can with the resources that you have available. Maybe just picking two or three things that you can measure and doing them really well. So I think that's all really sound advice to get you started. Uh, If you liked what you heard in this conversation and want to dive into the world of purpose-led business, you can get involved with UMI's Social Entrepreneur Index. This podcast is going to be featured in the official index publication alongside many other interviews, advice pieces, and of course the companies that have been included in the 2022 Social Entrepreneur Index. So do check that out when it becomes available. Uh, And as always, thanks so much to Heidi for her time and insights. And thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 